Welcome to Round Rock Church of Christ. We're glad you're listening. If you're in the Austin area, we'd love to have you join us this Sunday at 8.30 or 10 a.m. Or you can check us out and watch online at roundrockchurch.us. May God bless you as you seek Him, and may He use this message to give you exactly what you need. Thanks, Tanya. Uh, I want to echo uh, the welcome that the uh, K's gave this morning to anyone who is new. Uh, I would also like to take a second before we get into the Word this morning to introduce to you uh, someone who will be new with us starting next week. One of the values that we have had at this church over and over again is that we have wanted to pour and invest in young ministers. And starting next week, I'm very excited to announce that we will be hosting a man by the name of Aaron Jones, who will be coming to serve as a preaching intern this summer. I went ahead and got a picture there for you. This picture was taken right at the news that he was coming to Round Rock. So he's extremely excited. Okay. All right. I'm, I'm selling it to you. He is currently in Abilene, Texas right now, and he's working on a master's degree. He will be with us starting this next week. Um, so I want you to note, just as you think about summer plans with him being here, don't forget about him. Like invite him to different things that you've got going on, okay? Uh, Sue Duncan already has plans with him, so I'm not saying you're behind, you're just not winning, okay? All right, so just work on that. Make sure you say hello to him, and we will introduce him next week with it. Today, uh, we do start a new series, though. And this new series, we are naming it, It's Complicated. Is that a good description for any part of your life right now that is just complicated? When I think of the phrase, it's complicated, I think of, uh, obviously, my dating life. And uh, that was funny, okay? <laughs> that, it doesn't get better than that, all right? So, um, I think of my dating life specifically when uh, I was first about to uh, meet my uh, current day spouse. Uh, I remember I met my spouse, Carolina, and I was like, I would love to date her. Um, and one of the very few things that I knew about Carolina is that Carolina loved to play piano. So I decided I'm going to teach myself piano so I can amaze her with these skills, okay? Like, why listen to the notebook when you can just hear my love life, right? So there is fortunate news and unfortunate news. The fortunate news is my roommate in college was the master at piano, and he was willing to teach me. The unfortunate news is I cannot keep a beat, and if you have stayed with me close in worship, you will know I have no music ability whatsoever. And my roommate let me know just two weeks in, there's no way you're going to learn piano, okay? <laughs> but he hatched a new plan. He said, we got to expedite this, okay? Because I don't know what your chances are with this girl, so we got to speed things up. Instead of teaching you the piano, we're just going to get you to memorize one song. And you're just going to memorize the keys all the way through. And this sounded like a great idea at the time. So night after night after night, before we went to bed, I would spend 30 minutes remembering each of these notes on the piano to play this one beautiful song. The evening came where it was showtime. Okay. We had set everything up. My roommate had been the best wingman in the world. We found a place that had a piano. Yeah, we just walked in and we were like, oh. A piano, what doth hinder us, you know? And we, we sit, that was a Bible reference for you there. Um, we sit down at the piano and, you know, we're talking, we're talking. And I'm like, how about I play you a song? She's like, okay. And I sit down at the piano and I get ready to play. 
And I realize this piano is not like the same piano I've practiced on. <laughs> Give me a second. And I keep, I keep searching and I can't find the first key to play the song. And the only way this backfires is if you don't have the first key, you can't play the song because you just memorized it. So I remember I sit there and I, I try a couple notes and it sounds awful. And I, you know, let me try again. And I try again and I try and finally she just goes, do you know how to play the piano? I go, well, uh, I know how to play a song on the piano. If you want to know the piano as a whole, it's complicated. <laughs> mm. when, uh, when God tells a story of wooing the people, there are a couple of moments where things get extremely complicated, where things begin to be off key. God had a plan. God was going to take this one group of people as Israel, and he was going to take them to be their people to woo all the rest of the people in the world in a unique way. But the first key starts on a bad note. What complicated God's plan was that there was a human, a king who was supposed to be the first key of God's entire song. And that key who was supposed to fulfill God's purposes, ends up letting his own purposes get in the way. And by this point in the Bible, with the story that you just heard by Tanya, you can barely make out the song. The king, the person who is supposed to set up God's people to completely be ready for the song of God, has no longer followed God's ways. The king is no longer mimicking the actions that have been set before him to play out. He has used power and he has abused power. And God grieves at humans misusing power. But by the time that you get to this point in 1 Samuel, you will see that not only God grieves, but the prophet, the preacher, the priest of the day, Samuel, he was the one who set King Saul up for this moment. Grieves as well. If you haven't had a chance, I want to encourage you to turn to this story with me. It's in 1 Samuel chapter 16. This God, in the response to grief, responds with action. And God's action is to come to Samuel and starting in verse one, he said, the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul? Since I have rejected him over king of Israel, fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem and I have chosen one of his sons to be king. It's as if God says, how long will you grieve. It's time to get to work because I am at work as well. Can I ask you a personal question? That has nothing to do with this story. Have you ever uh, found it really frustrating at the spinning wheel of death? Do you know what I'm talking about? Like if you ever seen, like if you're ever on an electronic device and something is loading and you just get that spinning wheel of death that's just happening over and over and over. 
I've had technological people tell me it's not called the spinning wheel of death. It's actually called the waiting cursor. But like if you've ever just seen something just load and load and you're waiting for it to load this spiral, it just happens over and over. I don't know about you, but I turn into a four-year-old that needs a nap and a snack anytime I get that circle. Like all patience just goes right out the window for me every time. And deeply what's going on in Zane when I can't stand for that thing to load anymore is I don't trust that that circle is actually working. You know, my wife will be like, calm down. It's working. I'm like, it's not working. Okay. There are times that grieve us in the world where we are waiting for the work of God and it will feel like a curse. But the assurance of this story is that even in our grief, God is working. And even when there are forces at work against God's ways in the world, God is working. And what's outlandish is how God wants to choose to work. It is a human that has messed this thing up. And God goes to a human to go get another human to go clean this thing up. God wants to work through humans. God's work is patient enough to come through humans. Do you ever just have weeks where you're like, I am done with humans? Like, I just rather, like, Mark Twain has this beautiful quote that some weeks I'm just like, mm, that is it right there. He goes, the more I get to learn about people, the more I love my dog, okay? Do you ever just have one of those weeks where you're just like, I just, I just can't do people anymore. Like, I just, you know, we make jokes all the time of like, isn't community beautiful if you could just get rid of the people, right? right. God does not share that sentiment. God wants to work through people. And as you can see in this moment in 1 Samuel, that God will give us the option to refuse to participate in Him but God will not refuse to participate with humanity. God does not give up on people. But how God works about with people is where our instincts tend to get thrown off, right? Samuel's instincts are not God's instincts when it comes to how he'll work in the world. Look at me with verse 6. When they had arrived, this is Jesse and his family, Samuel saw Eliab mm -mm -mm, and thought, surely the Lord's anointed. He's going to stand here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. For the Lord does not look on things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Samuel lays his cards out on the table. Samuel has a type. When Samuel thinks about how God is going to work through a human in the world, he plays a certain part. He plays an Eliab part. You know, the first time that they were picking Saul, it was highlighted that Saul was handsome, that he was ahead above the rest. Samuel has a way that he envisions God working. And this is a word for us this morning and this week. Because how Samuel visions the world is how we like to envision the world as well. You do this as well. 
You're just more discreet about it, right? I'll tell you how I do it. I come to the world of God working and I have visible expectations I want to see of people who are partnering with God. I'll be very transparent. What stickers are on the back of your car are my expectations. What words you post on social media. Tell me whether you are on God's team or not on God's team. How you spend your time on the weekend. How you spend money on the weekends. We all know that human beings are not simple. But man, we will rush to some simple categories very quickly. We like to divide the world because our brains like it easier of people are on the good team and people that are on the bad team. And we usually baptize who's in the good and who's in the bad based off of our own vision and own visible expectations. As if God is not with every person and is for every person in the world. So we wrestle with things. And we say in our minds, God can't be with those Republicans. God can't be with those Democrats. God can't be with those people that spend their weekends in ways I don't spend my weekends. We treat God as if God is not for every person. And that God works through the people who are willing to open themselves up to him, not with external motivations, but internal motivations of God. And as Samuel experienced, when you parse the world into good or bad, if a person is just good or bad in the world, you miss the movement of God. And God have mercy on us if we actually become the work against God because we don't see what God is doing in each person. The grace of God's kingdom is that God gives us a new vision of how God works. He comes to Samuel and Samuel is saying, not this one, not this one, not this one. In verse 10, Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons that you have? No, I mean, they're, they're still the youngest. You know, Jesse answered, he's tending the sheep. And Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives, which just means we will not eat until they arrive. So he sent for him and he had him brought in. He was glowing with health and he had a fine appearance and handsome features. And then the Lord said, rise and anoint him because this is the one. God goes to the most unseen, to the person that's doing the most unappreciated job and says, this is the one that I want to use. And this one, don't kid yourself, is complicated. A couple of weeks ago, I was in the airport and uh, I was standing next to the sign and the sign was just basically this poster. Uh, it was a poster of this mom who was like serving coffee to her entire family, which I was like, that's not realistic. You wouldn't give coffee to your kids. But anyways, uh, the poster just had her and she had like a mask like she was a superhero. And I had this little girl walk up to me 
And she just looks at the poster for a little bit, just staring. And then she just looks at me and she goes, is she one of the good ones or bad ones? And I was like, good or bad what? She goes, hero. I look at the picture as well. I don't know. I mean, this I guess she's the good one, right? That is the sentiment of David. That is the premise of this series is when you stare at the story of David long enough, you start to wonder a little bit. Is David who David says he is? Is he a good one or is he a bad one? Is he a hero or is he something different? The Bible, the way it is set up, is it tells multiple accounts from different angles. And one thing in the Hebrew Bible is in the story of David, you get several different lenses of David's story. Now, here's one example of it. In verse 10, which you've heard before, Jesse had seven of his sons pass before him. But Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen me. Okay, this is one example of the story. But you got to catch this if you're a close reader of Scripture. All right, in First Chronicles, another angle of it. Jesse was the father of Eliab, the firstborn. The second was Abinadab. The third, we're not going to go all through these names. Here's the point at the very end. And the seventh son, David. In one story, Chronicles tells you that David is the seventh son. But in 1 Samuel 16, it's actually said that there were seven sons and then there were David. Is David the seventh son or is David the eighth son? What's going on there? The Bible wants to let you know connotations of things just based off of numbers. Just like you have a lucky number, there are numbers that indicate something in the Bible. Seven is perfect. Eight is an afterthought. Is David perfect or is David an afterthought? Is David a good person or is David a bad person? Is David sketchy or is David innocent? And how you answer that question <laughs> says a lot about how you view people that are told in the Bible. It's a complex answer because David is a complicated person. And just if you don't take my word for that one, Look with me in verse 12 again, when it describes David. Did you catch this? So he sent for him and he brought him in and he was glowing with health and he had fine appearance and he was handsome in features. What a description. Wouldn't you love that? They were handsome in features. <laughs> this is the Bible's way of telling you what David is capable of. I always chuckle when I read this verse. Like I had a friend in college who every time you know, someone would walk by would be like, hey, how about dating them? You know, how about them? And she would always say, hmm, I can look at them and I know I could get in a lot of trouble dating them. This is the Bible's way of saying that. Anytime the Bible comments on someone's beauty, usually it means that there's trouble around corners. When we hear these stories, we do not hear them always of what humans are capable of on their best days and on their worst days. David is capable of a lot of great things, but David is also capable of terrible things. But our hearts struggle to hold this tension that we can do both. 
both. We want to hear these stories the same way that people in the ancient world wanted to hear stories. When people would tell stories that people would look up to, they would not tell stories of real human beings. They would tell stories of people they aspired to be. So you would get stories like Odysseus or Hercules. These were stories that were repeated over and over again because they wanted a human being that was close to us in the world, but also had a little bit more, right? This is why Marvel is making a killing off of us right now. We crave these stories. But the Bible is a story about humans, not to inspire us, but to expose us. The stories of the Bible mirror what we have known for the longest time, that humans are capable of terrible things, but they're also capable of incredible things. Their hearts, in another word, are divided. There was a Russian writer who said this about the heart. The line separating good and evil passes not through states, not between classes, nor between political parties either, but right through every human heart and through all human hearts. The Bible is trying to mirror back to us to say, your heart is divided. You have great moments and you have not so great moments. And the good news of God that's seen in this story and is also a part of your story is that even though our hearts are divided, God has a heart for divided work through. No matter the best parts of your week or the worst parts of your week, God longs to work through the most complicated parts of your life. The most important thing of the heart of David is found in this in verse 13. So Samuel took the horn of oil and he anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Many translations looking back would actually say the Lord's spirit gripped David. The most powerful thing about your heart is that it can be gripped by the spirit of the living, breathing God. The most important thing of your heart is the ability to open yourself up to the spirit of God doing incredible things, even though you do not so incredible things within your week. David will lie. He will cheat. He is not going to be the best father. And still the spirit of the Lord grips him. And we are still reading about him today. That's how good the spirit of God is. The bad news is that we are capable of adding more pain to the world than we even can predict. But the good news is that the spirit of God can help you do things that you didn't even think that you were capable of doing. We always say this phrase, we just say, you know, I'm just human. That may be the greatest lie we ever tell ourselves. 
that we, we say that phrase because we're looking for solidarity because we knocked a glass over at the restaurant and we're really embarrassed or we made a mistake or we forgot to pack something in the kid's lunch. We just say that we're human. But if anything, the life of David shows you that to be human means that the Spirit of God can come over you and do things you never thought you were capable of. It's good news to be human. Because God works through humans. One of the reasons I could not that day find the right key to play on that piano was because I remembered the first key on my roommate's piano. It had a small stain on it. So I always knew that was the first key to press to be able to have it. Apparently those do not come with every piano. The stain of David's life reminds us you cannot start or end playing beautiful music with your life. But the life of David and the life of the one that they will call the son of David who will be marked by a stain of blood upon a cross can remind you you are not the first key in life of God. Jesus is. And all you have to do is start playing the music behind Jesus. Because He has already started this movement of God. You as a human, just join it and play the music behind Him. So this week, what's the encouragement? This week, do not let hate or simplistic categories divide your heart towards people this week but let the Spirit of God grip you. This week, don't view humans as either they are heroes in your life or they are zeros in the world, but let God be the one who brings salvation. And this week, do not give up on God even when things get complicated because God works through really complicated situations. If you do this, God may just make some beautiful music with your life and your world. May this be true with you and God this week. I'm going to invite one of our leaders, John, to come up. I'm going to pray for us. Uh, So God, God, I I felt it just walking in here today. Uh, There is a mixed bag of just emotions. God, the world is oh so complicated right now. And God, I feel like for some of us, we have really lost hope And what is your work in the world? Spirit of God, can you reveal to us how you are moving about? God, may you take our grief and may we respond to it towards the pain and hurt in the world. God, we are just human. But we're ready for you to show us that that means more than we even know. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.